Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Slave. Barbarian. Warrior. Thief. Conan. They said you'd come. A man of great strength. Conqueror. One who could crush the snakes of the earth. The bears are their own deaths. He's evil. A sorcerer who can summon demons. Day of doom is here! What daring! What arrogance! I salute you. Out of an age undreamed of comes the most incredible adventurer of all. The man they call Conan. The Barbarian. Coming to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. Ciao, people, and welcome to our 177th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, the one and only Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Oh, you know me. I can't complain. I live at the beach. It's a nice day, and I can hear the ocean, so what could be better? <laughs> Fantastic! Yes, uh, I, I wish uh, I wish I lived at the beach sometimes. Though I'm not much of a beach body, but I do like the sound of the sea. It's very relaxing. Oh, I am pasty white as all get out. I would blow up if I went to the beach. <laughs> I hear, yeah, but the sound of the sea is very relaxing. I will agree with you. Um, and uh, you know, t- today we're not discussing beaches or anything that is maritime, but we are discussing Conan the Barbarian from 1982, the year where I was born, mind you, directed by John Milius who co-wrote this film with Oliver Stone. Yes, that Oliver Stone, while the score was by Basil Polidouris. And to put it in today's money adjusted for inflation, this movie cost $60 million to make and made $239 million at the box office. So quite the success indeed. So Keith, when it comes to your general impressions of this, I assume this isn't the first time you got to see it. So what do you think of Conan the Barbarian? Uh... This is one of those movies that has not aged well. The last time I had seen this movie was probably, I don't know, two decades ago. And it's always on TV, but you always catch it at like the weird random parts and you forget uh, how long this movie is. I sat down and rewatched it today for you know our taping and it's like three hours. And that's an exaggeration, but it felt like that long. It's really like two hours and 10 minutes or something crazy like that. Um, it. The production value for when it was made is adequate, considering you know everybody that you had involved. 
you know, it's this is Oliver Stone, and then you see some of the special effects that you have, and you're just like, ooh, that's cringe. But, you know, again, in 1982, this was a big deal. You know, this was Arnold Schwarzenegger's, I think, uh, 10th movie, and it shows because they gave him all of, like, 12 lines in the entire movie, which is funny if you really think about his career, how it progressed, because they did the same thing in Terminator 2. He had, like, eight lines in the entire movie and made $64 million or some insane number. Um, I don't know. There, there was a There's a lot to like about this movie, and there's a lot to just cringe about this movie. You know, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, so you know it's just going to be a lot of smashing and grabbing and punching. But at the same time, there was just so much of this movie that could have been cut out. There's shots of him just looking off into the sunset, thinking about I don't know what. There's parts of him where he's riding a horse for like, I don't know, a month and a half, apparently. There's one scene where he's riding a horse and he's changing armor as the scene progresses, but there's no break in the riding. So it's not like he got off the horse one day and then jumped back on the next and changed his clothes. It's just literally like a seven minute shot of him riding a horse, which there is, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes of this movie. I had to fast forward through because it was just no talking, no nothing, just him grunting and making weird sound effects and just so much filler. The, the horse riding scenes were hysterical uh but it, it all in all for what it is and when it came out it's a fun watch it, it's definitely kind of cringeworthy it's not as much fun to watch as say um doc savage like we talked about last weekend but it's still you know it's entertaining and like you said it made a crap ton of money in the at the box office so it makes sense that you know this got a sequel and surprising the cast that they have in it you know you look at some of these stars and what they've done, you got, you know, James Earl Jones and his weird glam stare, you know, Max uh, Von, was it Sidens? Uh, Max Von Sydow, yes, he's the yeah, king. Yeah. yeah, the king. I mean, all these people that you see in this movie and know what they've done since this movie has come out, it's impressive to see kind of like, for lack of a better term, where they've started. And it's just, it's, again, fun to see, you know, James Earl Jones as a bad guy with horrific wig and all this stuff you know is it you know high intellectual no not by any stretch of the imagination but it's fun it's one of those definite like you're doing laundry it's another one of those rainy day movies that you don't have to pay attention to you're cleaning your room you're doing the dishes hell you're painting something this is just something to have on the background is noise Fair enough. I mean, I, I agree with you. I actually was also curious. Were you familiar with the uh, Howard novellas of Conan, obviously the man who created this character? And uh, are you even a fan of like, uh, you know, the whole sword and sorcery genre? Um, when this came out, I was definitely a fan of d and I was younger. I was like five. So I was very much like dragons and magic and, ooh, ah, you know, that was it was very over the top. In terms of the books and the comic books and everything like that, I've had some um, experience with the comic books. You know, Marvel had him own the rights tomorrow, uh, Conan, for a while. So I've read him. I actually have a comic book of Conan sitting in one of my boxes. So I've kind of had experience with them in terms of how the characters are and what they, you know, portrayed this was just very much like a comic book brought to life there was not any rich dialogue by any stretch of the imagination no fair enough because funnily enough before i even watched this movie 
I actually was more familiar with the Howard novellas. In fact, funny enough, my grandmother at the time actually gave me a collection of Conan stories. And so that's how I got to know the character. And it, within the book, there's, a, there's actually within this collection, there's also a summary, if you will, of a Howard's um, biography. And the fact that he was, you know, as a kid growing up, he was bullied and so he never wanted to be bullied again. And so he went into the whole thing of, I'm going to work out, I'm going to put on some muscle. And so nobody will mess with me again. And the curious thing about this is the Conan character, and I think this movie as well, I know it has suffered from criticism aside from, you know, like I said, the dialogue not being particularly rich or what have you, but a lot of people or some critics have seen it as glorifying fascist ideals. As in the fact of, you know, the mighty white warrior with the blonde hair, etc. And, and so, on. I mean, I can understand that to a certain extent, because this movie literally opens with a quote from Nietzsche, yeah, who, right. of course, created the, the concept of the Ubermensch, of the Superman. Even though I want to clarify this for folks, Nietzsche was not a fascist and was not a Nazi. He brought out this theory of the Superman but and often, unfortunately, it has been used by right wing and extreme right wing people to bet to, should we say, further their ideologies. But I suppose seeing that when I saw the quote, I'm like, hmm, what are they going with here exactly? Because of the fact that they're using the concept of the Superman and because of the fact that they're using the concept of, you know, the should we say individualism as well? It's like the individual, the strong individual who will so, uh, you know, overcome all odds and be the strong man. I can see the argument of it being, oh, it's glorifying fascism and it's glorifying that concept. And also because maybe people could even make the argument that our antagonist is black. And the fact oh. that, you know, oh, the white guy is beheading a black guy. If you want to go that, down that path. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to read into it, yo, hundred percent, you could take it to that. I'm not gonna say logical conclusion, but in terms of our modern 2023 society, if you look at it now through that lens, yes, it has some, you know, connotations of like the white man, you know, oppressing the black man, and so on and so forth. And the quote at the beginning, I, I think, to me personally. I just thought it was more of like setting the bar. Like, okay, this is what you're going to kind of, you're getting yourself into, not the white man stealing stuff, you know, pressing so-and-so and killing so-and-so. This was just more of like, again, like you're saying, the Superman or the Uber character. Uh, you know, when you start out with him as a young Conan, he is what, maybe 10 years old or so. He was kidnapped against his will and he was strapped to a, a grinder of some type for the next, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, it looks like, because he goes from 10 or 12 years old to middle age or young, you know, mid thirties, mid to late thirties. So he's been doing it for who the heck knows how long. And his captor is a, a white male on top of that. So it's not like this race is, you know, oppressing this race. It's literally one white man and another white man. So there is like, equal footings per se. And then he gets his culture from other societies. He's actually introduced, I'm going to assume a Mo the Mongolian type of race and then other Asian influence style races through his travels. So it, at no point other than when he does actually steal something, 
do I feel like it's like the whole cultural appropriation or him imposing his will upon others? It's he's learning from others all through his time while he's traveling. I very much agree. That's why, you know, when I heard that whole concept of uh, Conan being a fascist icon was why I was kind of questioning it. I mean, you know, as I often, you know, have been told and I agree, I feel movies are, of course, are very subjective. So, of course, you are going to read into it according to, I suppose, what is relatable to you and everybody's entitled to their interpretation. But to be honest, I don't see this as a fascist movie, not to mention uh, our our director in this case, Mr. Milius, he is as far removed from fascism as can be. He actually, um, should we say, rec- identifies himself as an anarchist. So completely the opposite spectrum of the extreme right. He uh, literally says he considers himself more of an anarchist than a conservative. So there is that, even though we know that Oliver Stone is maybe possibly on the conservative side, but <laughs> that's another story. And also... To add to your point of it seeming like really long, it does not surprise me knowing that Oliver Stone wrote this film (laughs) because Oliver Stone is a fantastic filmmaker. The problem is there are a lot of his movies that tend to drag. Looking at you, JFK, for example, which is a great movie, but it goes on forever. And that I think, and I think maybe the, the length of it could be the fact that that Oliver was was involved as a writer. Granted, um, Milius directed this, but Oliver Stone co-wrote this. So there is very much that Oliver Stone feel in this film. Even in some of the shots or even some things that we go through are very Oliver Stone-ish. If you, you know, if you kind of think about it, I even think of something as removed from Mrs. Platoon, which are a lot of it is a lot of long shots and a lot of things that seem to take forever. And that was like, oh, I've seen this before in other Oliver Stone movies. But directorially, I actually will say, for the most part, it's actually shot well. As much as it, you know, it's never going to win any Oscars or anything like that, it is well shot. I agree, they do take their time for certain things. But coming, you know, from it, from the, uh, from having enjoyed the novellas, the Conan novellas, and coming into this, I, I thought this was good. I mean, I liked it. I mean, I think I can't see anybody else playing on playing Conan and Arnold at the time. There are some very weird things which uh, we will get into when we look at our characters. But other than that, I thought it was good. The the, the score was decent. And uh, so, yeah, I'm actually going to say I don't see this as fascist at all. On the contrary, I think it's uh, very much, like I said, a sword and, a swords and sorcery story. And, uh, and that's really all there is to it. Not to mention, being a big fan of the band Manowar at the time, they very much took their cue from this. And they made it their thing of the secrets of steel and, you know, that, that kind of that whole thing. So I'm like, oh, I see where Manowar went with this. So uh, so it did make me kind of chuckle when I, I was watching this. And I was thinking of listening to Manowar and you know, thinking of Manowar songs, which are, you know, inspired by this. So well, you know, I thought it was, it was a good watch. I enjoyed it for what it was. So I guess let's start off by looking at our protagonist himself. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator himself, and governor of California later on as Conan the Barbarian. So what did you make of our barbarian, Keith? Oh, it was, he was, oh, I just, oh. <laughs> I get why he only had, I, I think, literally like 20 lines in the movie. At best, I think he had 20. Just, he wasn't as... um 
well known as he is nowadays and i definitely know his accent was much thicker when he first started out i mean it was so bad that in his first movie of hercules they dubbed the entire his entire part was dubbed over so just to kind of set the bar there and you know he has gone on to inspire cartoon characters on uh was it tiny tunes with the big bodybuilding dog so he's been a running joke for decades in terms of how horrific his accent is or how thick it is um in terms of what they cast him for the big strong guy to beat people up 100 percent. he fit the the part perfectly you know the the stunt work was a little uh iffy toward the end when he gets into the big climactic battle or the before the climactic battle where he's standing his ground and after his girlfriend had been killed, that was a little cringy. Uh, the stuff where he's tied to a tree and he's biting the, uh, was it the buzzard or whatever it was, his neck out. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, Oh, this is, this is hysterical because you can tell it's clearly a fake bird, you know, attacking his neck and I'm just dying laughing. And then the very next scene where his buddy saves him, he's just like, yeah, yeah, and then passes out. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? And yes, I, I do a horrifically bad, cheesy Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. I do. I use it at work with one of my coworkers who does a really bad uh, Sylvester Stallone accent. So we sit there and talk to each other like we're cheesy, you know, 80s action stars. But, you know, again, it's fun. You know, he is not cast for his acting prowess. He is the big muscle head who must break skulls. And he plays the part perfectly. He fits it to a T. He's entertaining when he does, you know, whatever he has to do for that scene. The special effects were interesting. You know, when he's attacking the giant snake, you could clearly tell it's it's bad. You know, it's a special effect. You know, it's a... a a dummy and he's just got this giant sword stuffed through the head and i'm like oh this is amazing and what it cracks me up is this is considered a quote-unquote big budget movie for when it came out and now you watch it and you're like this is cringe b-worthy best type of movies so it just kind of shows you where the bar was set back in the early 80s Oh, very much so. Um, it's and you know it's interesting that you bring up the whole thing because at first <laughs> you know, my my knowledge of you know my knowledge of uh, of Arnold Arnold's uh, filmography was mainly stuff like obviously the Terminator movies and that kind of stuff where he didn't get to do to should we say express himself that way and <laughs> we when we see it at the very top of the movie actually when I think he's thrown into his first gladiatorial battle is when yes. the chap kind of bites his neck he does the whole that's where it comes from. Okay, now I get it because I. And you can tell it was really bad voice, like dubbed work too. Like he really didn't make that sound because it's much louder than all the other action going on in that scene. There's people yelling in the background and you hear, yeah, yeah, and then he throws a guy, and I'm like, what? What is happening? What yeah, is the this? ADR was not particularly good. Um, no, <laughs> but. I mean, I, I agree. I think at this particular moment in time in the 80s, Arnold was perfect for the part. Interestingly, I mean, the character of Conan in the in the novellas, in the stories that appeared in various pulp magazines and what have you, and, you know, you brought up Doc Savage, and this is another very much a pulp character who, should we say, made his debut in pulp magazines. He is actually has more feeling 
than what we get here. Because in the in the the should we say the stories, Conan does actually have an almost sensitive side to him. I mean, he is kind, he tries to save people, and we get that somewhat here. But here he's very much more, like you said, of the muscle-bound guy who, yes, falls in love and what have you. But at first, it's very much that I think that to him, the I think the whole thing running through this particular story is revenge, of course, because he wants to revenge, take reve- take vengeance on the, the people who killed his family, who beheaded his mother and what have you. So it makes sense. It never ceases to amaze me that this <laughs> man went from like a nine pound weakling to becoming Mr. Universe simply by pushing this whatever it is for how many years it's like decades yeah i mean i can see how that would possibly develop your shoulders and your arms but the rest i don't (laughs) um what happened to everybody else like there was like what 20 kids on that chain and he's the only one left and he's pushing that giant grinder for apparently forever yeah and apparently that will give you you it's the equivalent to a full workout, apparently. Because you know, you'll basically I mean, you know. end up having a body like Arnold Schwarzenegger in, as Conan. If you, that's all you do for years is just do that. But I'm going to put one in my backyard and start that. It's going to be my my 90-day workout. is me just grinding salt or whatever they're doing. I'll let you know how it works out. <laughs> Please definitely do. I'm, I'll be very curious to know. But no, I mean, other than that, I mean, yes, the character can come across, I guess, sometimes a little bit two-dimensional because it's all about, you know, killing, plundering women, killing, plundering women. And granted, though, here, yes, he does fall in love with Valeria and then has that whole thing with her for as long as she's with us because, you know, by the end of this film, she's gone. But uh, I I did like that. Spoilers. (laughs) Yes, spoilers. But uh, what I did think was, was it was curious was we did at times, I was glad we got somewhat of a philosophical Conan as well. I mean, because aside from, yes, you know, butchering people and killing snakes and, you know, sleeping with witches and everything else, there are moments where I think he does try to almost think about life and what he wants to do and what his mission statement is, aside from vengeance. <laughs> and uh, there is that concept almost of like, you know, it made me think somewhat of uh, the gladiator of what we do in life echoes throughout eternity. And this is very much that concept for the character of Conan, I think is because it's very much ingrained with the whole Celtic, even Viking or Nordic mythology of you will be an, an epic warrior. And then once you're dead, you will be glorified in Valhalla. And it's interesting here they have Valhalla, even though they're not Nordic people. Yeah, they, I caught that too. I was like, where, where, how does that work out? Yeah, because Conan, I mean, the god he has, and granted he never praised him, is Krom, who is obviously made up for the, for the Conan mythos. And so he's not, Krom is not a Nordic god. But still, I'm like, okay. And I did kind of find it funny when he's like, do you ever talk to your guys? Like, not really. And that one time's like, Crom, if you're out there, you know, I will do this or I will, you know, or go to hell as far as I'm concerned. But other than that, I think he did a good job. And I will also say that when it came to weapons, I really dig Conan's sword. It's a cool sword. But the problem with the sword is it was sitting in a cave for like, who the hell knows how long caked in rust and he's yes. just sitting there wanging on the ground banging the rust off i'm like that's not how this works i, I did appreciate the, the and that's supposed piece. to be crumb's sword right i sure we'll go with that maybe because <laughs> yeah, he says crom when he sees the body unless 
it was just his response, like, you know, how we go, Jesus, or, you know, pick your, your deity. And when something happens, or you're like, holy crap, that might have been his first reaction. But it, it theoretically could have been Crom. I don't know. They didn't really go into too much detail as to what that tomb was. It would make it. I would appreciate it more if it was Crom. Uh, I might have to go back and do some research and figure out if that's what that was supposed to allude to. Um, the sword was was pretty badass. I will say that. I mean, and even the sword his father forges in the beginning when he goes on this whole big spiel about steel being, you know, the only thing that you can trust and women and your fellow man and everything else will lie and cheat and, you know, fail on you at some point, which ironically enough, the sword his dad makes fails on the person wielding it at the end. So, you know, I don't know if they did that on purpose or the irony was there, but yes, I, I think that sword was pretty cool. I wish it was actually a little bit longer. There's a an anime and manga um, called Berserker, and the character's name is Guts, and he has a sword that is every bit of ten feet long, and he he has you know to kill demons, and that's the kind of sword I picture like Conan swinging around, like a fourteen foot sword that nobody should be able to pick up but him. Oh no, that totally makes sense, and and I agree because I was trying to figure out the whole concept of the secret of steel because. Uh-huh. He, is because Conan's father ingrains in him of almost like you have to guard the secret of steel because it's like a holy thing. But I mean, aside from the 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 you know the, the Sumerians or you know the his people, other folks can forge weapons too. So it's not <laughs> right. much of a secret, is it? No, not at all. Because uh, when he's off with the uh, Japanese-inspired um, masters, Super, yes, he- yeah. He's got it, you know, essentially it looks like a samurai sword. So they clearly know how to do it. So it's not like just his people. Yeah. Because it almost seems like a, a, a uh, holy thing of we are the ones who guard the secret of steel. And right. even though by the end of this movie, we never know what the secret of steel is other than maybe we're the only ones. Because I, when I watched it, I thought to myself, does this mean that they're the only ones who can forge weapons made of steel and everybody else is screwed because they have weapons out of bronze or whatever. But that's not the case. So what I was trying to figure out the point they were trying to make with the whole thing of steel, because then you have Thulsa Doom, our villain, who's like, I I abandoned steel for people because people are more potent than steel. So it's very much an open secret at this point. Yeah, and I was literally just about to mention that how the reason why his Conan's village was destroyed was because um, his character, the the big bad guy was on the steel path. I guess you'd call it. And he was like, must get all the swords and blah, 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 and kill everybody. And yet like at, at some point later in life, he's like, you know what? Yeah, steel's okay, but I like people more. I guess because you can manipulate them, and I also I what, what I thought was was I, what I thought was great about this character is, you know, he because obviously we see some sort of growth as he as as it goes because we see him, you know, obviously as I said, thrown into the gladiatorial pit, and then we hear on our narrative voice, which I, I believe is pro- is provided by Mako, who obviously plays Akira the Wizard, where he's like uh-huh. he realized he had value, so he realized he had value because he was a fighter, I guess so. Um, and that's when he's like, he's his life mattered and so on. So we get that whole that whole thing. 
And then obviously as he grows, I think he does grow as a person because some of the things that his father teaches him almost turn out to be true. Like when he meets the witch and it's like, don't trust women because, you know, they will lure you away with their lustful ways. And, you know, it turns out that she's like, the price to pay for the secret is you have to sleep with me. And I'm like, okay, I guess that works. <laughs> I know. And it's funny. It's like us as adults, you're like, how does that work out? Like when you're a little kid, you know, when you're younger and you're teenagers, you're like, <laughs> he's going to go bang a chick. And then you watch and you're like, that, how does that work? That, that math doesn't add up. And then she obviously turns into a witch and tries to kill him. But for that first two minutes of that scene, I was like, mm, no. And, and one of the most cringy sex scenes I have seen. I mean, if that turns people oh, yes. on, I guess, good for you. But I'm like, if somebody's watching this, they're supposed to feel aroused by this because the least arousing sex scene I have seen in a while. Yeah, she's just telling him his fortune while having sex. I was like, mm, you're talking about ruining the mood. Yeah, exactly. And I love when she turns into a witch, just picks her, kind of rolls her over and throws her onto the fire. That's oh, that was fantastic. so good. And, and then like for like a split second, they flash into the fire and you see her, she's like, ah, like, like the Wicked Witch of the West melting. And then she just turns into a lightning bolt and flies away. And you're like, what just happened? Like, where, wait, what? Is she still alive? Like, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, nice that, that, that was another one of those great. I don't know who thought that was a good idea type of moment in this movie. <laughs> I have no idea. But no, as I said, and then obviously, you know, he he does somewhat grow because then he realizes that he wants to take revenge and he meets Valeria, who I think helps him somewhat discover his hum- more human side, if you will, more humane side. And obviously with all his other band of merry men and, mer- and merry women, I guess we should say. But yeah, I, I, and I like that. And then I guess by the end of this film, we realize he's become a king in his own right because we get that kind of shot of him on his throne, you know, groaning, I think, believe at this point, having grown a beard and kind of overlooking the world, very much akin to what Black Adam, if you will, looked like when, when, we, when we, we read the Black Adam movie. But no, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought the character, he did what he had to do because Conan, as we know, is not a philosopher. He's more of a, a warrior. And so he embodies, I think, the, the qualities and characters of a warrior. And all, by and large, even with his thick Austrian accent, I think Arnie did a good job with this. So I guess then let's get to Conan's three companions because he can't go it alone in his adventure. We have, a, exactly, <laughs> we have Jerry Lopez as Subatai, Sandal Bergman as Valeria, even though throughout the film, we only, if you read the subtitles, she's only mentioned as the blonde and, Ma- and Mako as Akira the wizard. So what did you make of these three, Keith? I'm going to have to go back and watch it now with subtitles turned on because I just want to see that because that's terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was a little... I'm not going to say it was rushed, really, but for a guy who's never been out in the real world, he makes best friends with the first two people he meets. And, you know, it, it just seemed very convenient there was no like okay we need to fight or do xyz before i really trust you it's like nope we're gonna go drinking in this weird city and we're gonna be friends and like his very first uh interaction with the one guy is they're talking about religion i was like not hey how did you get captured by the witch or where are you from or whatever it's just literally what god do you pray to well what god do you pray to and i was like okay well that's interesting and then they turn into two frat boys and just go city hopping, get drunk and knock out a camel <laughs> and then decide to go break into a, a temple where they 
meet uh, Valeria and she just joins along like, okay, we're best buds. And that's now Conan's love interest. Um, the wizard, I actually, I thought was the most interesting because he was essentially hiding from everybody and kind of got sucked into this. He was more of like a collateral damage for lack of a better term. You know, when Conan gets strung up and beaten to within an inch of his life, they bring him to uh, the wizard, which somehow they knew where to find him, which I don't know, but hey, that whatever. Like everybody knows, oh yeah, go find the wizard. He's, you know, three dunes down to the left. Like just magically they found him, which is fine. I do like how Mako is doing the narration because he's in both this and the sequel. So he's clearly telling the story of his former um, companion partner in crime, whatever, master. Yeah, he, uh, he to refers to his master, yes. Right. So he's telling this story to somebody else. Like, So it, it's, I like that they integrated him into the story. It's not like Star Wars where you just get this, you know, scrolling dialogue and they jump right in. You have no idea who's told you this dialogue. He at least plays a part in the movie while minor and kind of comical at best in the first one, he does grow more in the second one. No, for sure. I mean, because I guess it's very much that relationship that you would find. I mean, heck, we even see it in The Witcher, where you have almost like the bard and the hero. And and uh, Michael kind of almost acts as Conan's bard, if you will, telling his story. Because he's like, I'm the only one that can really tell Conan's story because I, heck, I hang out with the guy. And so I know what I'm doing. When I'm saying, so it's very much almost like that minstrel or bard like character that would often accompany a hero on an epic journey. Even though, you know, Akira is no, um, you know, he's no chopped liver himself because, I mean, the guy clearly has powers. Heck, he brings almost Conan back from the dead when he's, when he's almost like doing the whole Christ thing where he's like crucified. Is that crucifixion, mind you? Because yeah, I'm trying. Technically, they 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 said it was crucifixion, but I I mean he was just tied to a tree. But I guess yeah. since he was tied in the you know the style of Jesus, they were trying to be subtle and say that he's risen again. What cracks me up is if like the dude just had some like band aids, some Gatorade, and some you know aloe vera, he probably would have been fine. Yeah, but because like, no, no, we got to write all this weird shit on his face and everything. Yeah, because when they say crucify him or whatever is like crucifixion, you're like, I imagine the full blown hands mm-hmm. and feet nailed to to something because, you know, he doesn't have even nails driven through his hands or his legs or anything. I mean, I'm not saying go go all the way through because this film is also pretty gory. So I wouldn't yes. have been surprised if they had driven nails through uh, Conan's hands and feet. But yeah, yeah when but he's like, we got more of that yelling, at, banging <laughs> nails into his hands. I will kill you all. He's banging nails in his hands. I suppose so. And plus, I suppose since this is almost like a made-up world, of course, because it's the the Hyborian age, Christ mm-hmm. isn't really around, so you right. can't really do the whole thing. Even though some folks could almost make the argument that there are some Christ-like images, maybe more mythological, because there is that kind of thought, of like Prometheus being kind of na- you know chained to whatever and uh, an eagle picking at his liver but oh yeah that's true that that's weird it, you know it was weird but when it came to the character to our companions i mean subotai i thought was fun 
I mean, he was he was you know very jovial, kind of almost the co- the co- comic relief in places. And I agree with you when they're like kind of messing around doing the whole frat boy thing. Why does Conan have to punch out a camel just because he can? I'm like, dude. I, I was so confused. I was like, did he just punch a camel? And then did he actually knock the camel out? And then like, the entire city is just staring at him and they're just <laughs> and stomping off. I'm like, the fuck just happened? What am I watching here? I was very again, considering who's written this. I, I don't understand how that got into the movie. Like Oliver Stone's like, yeah, that's cool. We're going to have the big dude punch a camel. Yeah, it just seemed very strange. They're like, okay, we better go away. And they just kind of run off and do whatever they have to do. Yeah, it's like, oops, our bad. And they run away. And you're like, dude, you knocked a camel out. Not my bad. Yeah, it was just, like, it was no, just... And nobody chases them. Like, they don't like lose their shit, nothing. Everybody's just staring at them, like, how dare you punch the camel? Like, everybody okay. was weirdly yeah. fine with that. It was straight. That was weird. Yeah, because you'd think there'd be at least some. I, I don't know whoever owned the camel. I think because right. actually whoever is comes out of the tent and does says something, but that's it. It's like, like, dude, you owe me a camel because I have, you know, my livelihood depends on that camel. But right. um, it was it was strange. But uh, no, Subotai, I thought was a good companion. And, you know, at least he got some stuff to do when it came to fighting and what have you. Speaking of which, when, you know, going back here, just a, a moment when. Conan is getting, uh, you know, should we say this training or of through martial arts and stuff. It was a little bit odd seeing this muscle bound guy doing these very nimble moves because, because, you know, Arnold was huge. I mean, he was just a, you know, a literally huge. Yeah. He he was a mountain of muscle. So seeing him do like the whole nifty ninja things, it was like, it seems a little bit strange for him because knowing the character, he'd be more of a, hack and slash kind of guy rather than you know i can do this and i can do that and i can do cartwheels and what have you or maybe more you know a wrestler i could see him doing the wrestling stuff but not the whole katana weaving thing no yeah i I would have thought they'd go more the nordic route myself same thing like with the axes and you know the just because he's a big dude and the nordic Viking, even European fighting style is more broadsword, which is what he's basically has, opposed to the katanas and the the nimbleness that you so graciously pointed out. Oh, thank you. Speaking of nimbleness, Valeria would be perfect for that kind of style of fighting because she would be more agile, if you will, almost more cat-like, if you will, than Conan. And the introduction to her, as I mentioned, because I watched this twice. I watched it once without subtitles, and then I watched it uh, the second time with subtitles. It's on Disney Plus because obviously Disney owns the rights to. I think this is. I think this was a Fox production, I believe, and that's why it's on. It's on Disney Plus. But yeah, whenever she's speaking, they write blonde screams, blonde cries. Because at the end of the day, she never introduces herself. I believe she never says to him, "Hi, I'm Valeria." I don't think she does. I think there's an initial, like the name comes up once, but yeah, it, it's not a like, oh, this is my girlfriend. It, it, there's not a big um, interact or not big. There's not an often interaction with her, like saying her name, like, hi, I am so-and-so. And just like Conan, he doesn't say, hi, I'm Conan. It's just people know who he is and she's the blonde. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose, you know, as much as it seems a little bit strange how they have this huge love affair, if you will, because it seems like such a passionate uh, coming together of two people. I suppose like, okay, we'll create the female version of Conan. 
So this is what, what she looked like before, obviously, Red Sonia came around. This is what we got. And I can see why maybe Conan would fall in love with her because she's like, she's me as a female. That's fantastic. So I guess he's very much, he appreciates the fact that she is a valorous and strong woman who can basically do the same things he does and sometimes possibly even better than he does. And so I can see that. But yeah, I, I also get your point where you're saying that it seemed like a little bit out of the blue that Conan, who's been told, don't trust anybody, trusts Subutai and trusts Valeria. It's like, okay, I'll just go with it. And then obviously, you know, we, we fought and we killed this serpent, etc. Obviously, of course, uh, Conan and Valeria are going to have sex because that's how it works. Of and course. they fall madly in love with each other. And it was, I guess, to a certain extent, it was nice to see Conan almost happy and in love because it was, very, it was you know, you think of Conan as being this very sort of, you know, frowning, almost um, dour car character. But he's almost he's he you can tell he's happy and he's in love with her, even though when she dies, obviously he doesn't shed a tear because Conan can't cry. He's not, not allowed to cry. <laughs> no, he doesn't have that kind of feel. But it does show that he is more human than quote unquote barbarian. So mm -hmm. it, it was a nice while didn't feel natural, or there just wasn't that kind of like great chemistry with the two of them. But it was good to show that he is more than a just a Hulk smash, you know, bash scalling kind of guy. Mm, yeah and i did like that suddenly valeria appears as a spirit and saves his life yeah that was but funny <laughs> what killed me is like her one line that she just kept saying do you want to live forever and then just goes and jumps off a cliff and like every time something like questionable comes up what's her response do you want to live forever jumps into a pool want to live forever climbs up a rope and i'm like you're telling me she couldn't have come up with anything else like like don't be a chicken or like come on it'll be fun <laughs> yeah that's but, that's yeah. her line for everything I, I did like how you know because the spirit you do see the spirits once before obviously trying to collect his soul that she mm -hmm. comes back because he even makes mention to the wizard you know do they think or does he think that they'll help out and the wizard's like no of course not and she does so it's kind of cool to see that she's really still looking out for him after everything happens Oh, yes. I mean, because I think she genuinely loves him because she gives him that whole speech of having felt alone all her life. And it almost maybe she sees in Conan a kindred spirit because, you know, like I said, they're both fighters, both thieves a little bit and, you know, kind of live life almost, you know, hand to mouth kind of situation. Where it's like, you know, we loot, pillage and live off what we've gotten with our, with our ill-gotten riches. So I can see that. And it seems to me that she might almost have had a long-term plan with Conan. I mean, I guess had she, had she lived, she may have wanted to have married him or, you know, been his, his girl, you know, for the rest of his life and him be her man for the rest of their lives. Even though I could see that I could definitely see something like that happening. Oh yeah. I mean, and Conan seems cool with it. In fact, I was so glad when Conan saves the princess that he doesn't bed the princess as well. Cause like, that's the last thing we need, even though I'm sure she probably would have, been more than happy to, but I'm glad that Conan at least just kind of carries her off in his arms and gives her back to her father, and that's that. But uh, well, I, I'm surprised the king didn't offer her up, like marry my daughter because you've just saved her and saved the kingdom, and blah blah blah. Like none of that happens. It's just literally fade to black. Old Conan sitting on a, a throne, and you're like, all right, shit happens. All right, move on. <laughs> I guess so, but no. So so uh, I like the character, and I know that um, that uh, obviously Sandal Bergman is remembered. You know, a lot of people you know 
think of her as Valeria. And it, and totally fair, because as I said, she definitely is an essential part to the team. Like even when they're raiding Thulsa Doom's palace and she does all her cool stuff and all her cool moves. So, you know, I, I, I totally get it. When it came to, to Akira the Wizard, I agree. There was, I don't know, this might be a stretch, but it made me somewhat think of Yoda in certain extent, you know, to a certain extent, as in he sometimes plays dumb, but he's actually wiser than he looks. As in, yeah, that's you true. know, like the, I, the, I, I the, the crazy old man who lives in a tent and just seems like super stupid and just like really silly, but he actually knows what he's doing. Case in point, you know, he brings Conan back from the dead and actually gets a couple of licks in himself when the, 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 the members of the snake cult you know, come over and to, to, uh, to attack Conan. Yeah. We'll have to save that one for later. Cause I have so much about that little fight <laughs> scene with the snake cult. I was just, oh, yeah, but I, 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 I liked him. I, I agree with you with the Yoda wiser beyond his years, but plays dumb, almost like Jackie Chan is the drunken master. Mm-hmm. Cause that came around around the same time where he's trying to be the play weak, but in actuality, you know, he could, cast a spell and turn you into a, I don't know, a, a snake or something, or again, resurrect the dead, because obviously not everybody can do that. Mm. Oh, no, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I like these characters and I have to be honest, I've never seen Conan the Destroyer and I'll actually be curious to see you how it works. No, I have not. So be interested to see what, how it changes from here, you know, who comes back, who doesn't, will there be another Valeria? Will it be the introduction of Red Sonja? I guess we'll see. Cause I've seen Red Sonja but I haven't seen Conan the Destroyer. So, really? Uh, interesting. Yeah. So it will definitely be, a, be an interesting experiment for me. But no, I thought this was nice that they gave Conan his supporting cast. And once again, I think it also dispels the whole fascist myth myth because had it been a very fascist movie, it would have been Conan by himself. And it would have been Conan doing everything alone without any help from anyone. So I think that there is also that. And if you think about it, it's a very diverse crowd. He has, you know, the wizard is of Asian descent. His the other gentleman, what's his name again? The, the uh, thief. Oh, uh, Jerry Lopez, Subotai. Subotai. Subotai is, I guess, he was supposed to be, I guess, Mongolian, but you know, mm-hmm. he is uh, of obviously not Mongolian descent. But they at least, had, and they had a very strong leading female. So, I guess, yes, you could argue that. Both leading male and female were white, minor detail. But the fact is, it was a diverse crowd. It wasn't just like him and a bunch of white guys or him and like, that's it. So Mm -hmm. I think people tend to stretch on that one a little bit. I think so. Because like I said, a lot of people feel it's all about, you know, the support of individualism. Whereas, you know, Conan, a lot of things he would not have been able to accomplish had he been alone. And we see this, you know, because obviously these people save him and he's about to die. Yeah. Without his friends, he would be dead. So clearly he needed their help. So he's not the super uber blah, blah, blah that they were trying to pretend that he is. Yeah, and I'm actually kind of glad about that because like I said, I did like his his supporting cast and uh, they, they definitely worked well. As random as you should say their, their strong friendship is. I'm like, okay, it's cool. I'm, I'm like, okay, it's, 80, it's the 80s. It's Conan. I'll take it for what it is. But, but I agree. Even though Oliver Stone co-wrote this, I'm like, yeah, the storytelling here and there could have been tightened up and could have been explained a little bit, but it's the 80s. All right. 
Let's do this. So as I believe you have a lot to say about our next part here, Keith, I guess let's get right down to it because we can round off our characters by getting to the dark side of the table and look at our main villain and leader of our snake cult. We have Darth Vader himself, or the voice of Darth Vader, as, which is, of course, James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom. So what did you make of our villain, Keith, and uh, the whole snake cult thing? So... First off, I feel like they recycled the costumes from Planet of the Apes. It gave me that vibe. I don't know why. I think it was the helmets. They either use the same special effects house, or I don't know. But I, it's just this weird. I kept. I couldn't get past it for like ever because the the weird bulky helmets is either like a, a bad cosplay or something. But the introduction of Th Thusa was. I'm not going to say rushed, but it felt a little bit rushed. You know, the first 30 minutes of the movie, they show, you know, young Conan and the whole family. And then Thusa and his snake cult come riding in and murder everybody over one sword, which, all right, I get it. You know, that time barbarians, they don't, you know, use a lot of logic, but then he just disappears and you never see him again until 30 years later. And what, I don't know. I just thought it was a little crazy was when you see Conan and him meet for the first time, they look like they're the same age. Conan looks like they all look like they're around the same age. They have not aged a day in the 20 or 30 years or however much period of time has passed from when they first pillaged his um, village. So, and even his character, while he had some, interesting dialogue during the course of the movie it was, it was i felt like it was phoned in it was very flat very generic you know there's one scene where you have him turn into a snake they don't really explain why he turns into a snake but he just does it for some apparent reason and starts slithering around the orgy that's going on at the bottom of his feet so i i wish they had some more character development again this is a movie from the 80s so it's more of villain of the week introduce him kill him and move on but i feel like there could have been more to flush the whole cult out you know he's theoretically what like a thousand years old and conan kills him in three strikes like he's supposed to be this shape-shifting wizard of uber power and blah 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 and he gets taken out by conan so i i think they didn't know what to do with him they they built this whole big thing up and then when they finally meet it's over before it even starts. You know, you see some cool uh, scenes where he's able to convert snakes into arrows and he's killed a couple of people or tries to kill a couple of people. He kills Valeria, um, kills her with an arrow um, and then tries to kill the princess. What I don't understand is why he didn't try to kill Conan. You know, there's four of them running off on a horse and he's like, find your target. And he shoots his arrow and he goes for the woman. And I get it. She made the comment about how she said she'd pay the whatever to the gods to bring Conan back. And this was supposed to be like her uh, recompense for that type of stuff. But at the same time, you think he would have launched like 60 of those arrows and just, you know, murdered everybody. But he only had one and let everybody else get away. So I don't know. It, it kind of fell flat. The big confrontation was over before it really started. He made this big speech and then gets his head lopped right off. And you're like, well, all right, guess we're done with this. Cool. Let's go home. 
I agree. I thought it was a possibly a little bit underwhelming because, like you said, you've raised the stakes so much about this character, about Thulsa Doom being like the head of the snake cult, which apparently is, has permeated the entire land because apparently we learned they are offshoots of the snake cult in other parts of, of, of uh, you know, Chimeria and wherever else, you know, within the whole Hyborian world, if you will. Mm -hmm. So he's literally like almost it's like he's the main religion. His religion is, is like spread like wildfire throughout the throughout the land. And so many people are following the snake cult to the point to where the princess has literally become so sort of enamored of this that she's literally become obsessed with it. It's she's been indoctrinated within the whole snake religion. And in fact, we you, you mentioned Max von Sydow, who plays her father, is all like, I lost my daughter to this cult. And so it tells you how influential this cult is because there are people who are literally live leaving their homes to join this cult. And so like this guy is like super charismatic. He knows what he's doing. And plus it, he doesn't just have charisma. The guy's literally magical to where he can turn himself into a snake. But yeah, when Conan finally confronts him, he's just like kind of taps him on the shoulder and locks his head off. And so like, okay. I mean, I would have expected almost a, I, would, I don't know, maybe James Earl Jones like, I'm not fighting that guy because I could just can't do it. We look just would look silly if I was battling Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of sword against sword or something. But use some magic powers. I know cast some as weird 80s uh, special effects at him. <laughs> do something because I mean, even as cheesy as it could be like a battle of in Masters of the Universe, this is supposed to be the big bad. It shouldn't be like tap, tap, head lopped off. And show everybody the head and, you know, and everybody kind of throws their flames into the water and abandons the state cult. That was a little bit, I agree. It then, you know, after all the, shall we say, uh, hype that you've put, that you've raised with this character, that he's so dangerous and he's so, he's like the big kahuna throughout all over the place. And then this is how he dies. It did seem <laughs> a little bit, a little bit rushed, not to mention I mean, I'm not saying Conan necessarily had to say, this is for my mother. I'm not saying he had to do that. But I mean, this is the guy who literally decapitated your mother in front of you when you were like five. So I would have given this a little bit more pathos, but, you know, that's just me. Um, I did like the concept of the snake cult, if you will, because it's always, you know, throughout history, throughout, or should we say, at least when it comes to Western civilization, snakes have often always been associated with evil. And uh, obviously the concept of um, going back to Nordic, uh, Nordic mythology, Thor and the, the great serpent, who is his mortal enemy. So it does kind of play off that. And I see that and I appreciate that. And I was amazed James Earl Jones did this because this he'd already been he'd already voiced Darth Vader by this point. So uh -huh. it's interesting what he went through and did. I guess I can see also your point of saying he phoned it in because as beautiful a voice as James had. There were moments where it's like, okay, I've just got the beautiful voice. I'm going to read these terrible lines and try and make them sound cool. But yeah, I just would have liked more to Thulsa Doom after everything that, that this movie kind of hyped up for this villain to be. And the whole snake cult thing after, or should we say the, um, the attack of the snake cult, where Conan does the whole almost Rambo traps and what have you. I was, that was... Cool, I suppose, but some of them didn't really pan out. But I well, guess like that was the, the right. The the um, 
was this the stake at the end of the one tree branch harpoons a guy right in the chest like he conveniently knew that it was gonna be like seven feet away from this point and just swings through which don't get me wrong was really cool to watch but at the same time i'm like how the fuck did he know this or better yet where did they get all the trees from because it's a beachfront and you don't see a, like him go through a forest at any point and yet they have trees for days yeah, this is true. And I, I was wondering also about the fact that the henchman, Thulsa's henchman, who literally has Conan's father's sword. Yes. It's supposed it's to be. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure where that's a symbolic thing of who cares about the secret of steel or Conan has conquered steel because he's literally shattered his father's sword because he does do that whole victorious thing where he holds both swords and goes, Rah! kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess. I guess there's that, but I suppose I thought this sword was, but I mean, granted, they didn't tell us it was unbreakable. It's not Excalibur, but what I'm saying is I wonder what that's supposed to mean where it's just like Conan has literally overcome the final test as in the, the, uh, the student has become the master and he's now literally the master of steel. I don't know, but it was hard to, I'm trying to figure that one out. I did the same thing. I, I think, again, when you know we're growing up in the 80s, you're watching, he's like, oh, it's cool. He shattered the sword. Now, as an adult, you're trying to figure out, like, what was the subtext to that? Like, is that, like you said, did he discover the secret? And that's why, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they spent 30 minutes of his dad talking about, you know, bitches are hoes and, you know, guys are shit, like, just whatever. And then at the end, you see him, he realizes at that moment in time, it's his dad's sword. And I think like he's, he assumes his dad's up in Valhalla maybe. And that's what he's trying to like, say like, look dad, I've avenged you. I mean, we could read like 17 different ways into this and we probably never get it right. Yeah. I guess we'd have to talk to Oliver Stone or to, or to uh, John Milius about this and see what their, what their take on this was exactly. But I don't know. I mean, uh, I just would have liked a little bit more of a send-off for Thulsa Doom. I mean, aside from him being decapitated and Sorry. his headless body kind of almost falling down the stairs. I mean, I get the fact that it, so it seems like literally even though he's been killed, his cult is over at this point because we see all his uh, adepts kind of just taking their flames and throwing them into the pool of water. So I guess no more snake cult because you killed our guy. And so that's it. You'd think they would have made him almost a martyr. <laughs> Something. Like, I agree with you. Cause you're just like, all right, they were like, ah, fucking I'm out. And they just start throwing their, their candles away. And I'm like, that's all it took was him lopping their, your leader that you've been following for who the hell knows how long. Cause they've been on a pilgrimage. A lot of them for a very long time. Cause he runs into the, the pilgrims as are going to the, the temple. So I would have thought a little bit more like something it's him against literally like 10,000 followers. You're telling me y'all couldn't have overpowered him. He looks pretty tired. Yeah, exactly. So that's just seemed a little bit weird. And the fact that, you know, the princess and kind of prostrates herself at Conan's feet, it's almost like he is the Messiah or whatever, because he has killed Thulsa Doom. And so he is the heir of Thulsa Doom because she literally genuflects in front of him. And Conan's kind of like ignores her totally and then kind of just picks her up in his arms and off he goes. But yeah, the I, I was just I was just a little bit concerned. I mean, I guess we'll see when it comes to Conan the Destroyer what uh, how this how it changes, if anything. But uh, yeah, I I, I like the, the as I said, the creation of the Thulsa Doom character 
Because when we first see him, you know, this cold-blooded murderer who literally look at, at a woman who has her sword raised and kind of like, it's almost, it almost seems like I'm going to spare your life. But then he turns around and boom, cuts her head off. You're like, wow, this guy, this guy means business. This guy is bad news. And then all the talk he makes about humans being or flesh being more potent than steel because you can control them was an interesting concept. Like he, he looked at some woman up there going, come down to me. Boom. Dead. Like, See, I can control people. That is, that is my power. But <laughs> I don't know. It was, the, it no. kind of fizzled out at the end. It, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I don't know if you noticed this since you, you brought it up him killing Conan's mom. If you look at from where he was standing to where she and her son were standing, they were not nearly close enough to each other for him to do that spin head slice thing even if he extended his arm as far as possible i was like you're like 30 feet away from her that doesn't work like that you know i'm no you know mathematician here but you're 30 feet plus this and yeah no or you know why was conan not covered in blood because if you lop somebody's head off there's gonna be blood everywhere and he's just like looking at his empty hand like what just happened like where's mommy I don't know. I feel like for the time it was great, but now that we're sitting here thinking about it, there was a lot of lazy writing choices and or they just didn't know what to do with themselves. They brought themselves into a corner and they're like, well, so what are we going to do now? And they're like, going to just walk up and cut his head off. Like, what? He's the, the head of this giant cult and then he's only going to have like three bodyguards? Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> what? Like, how does that work? He couldn't get, he had to literally sneak into the cast, uh, the temple with this special medallion, which everybody realized immediately was fake or something. And he gets captured. And yet, you know, two days later or however much time has passed, he literally sneaks into the exact same temple without a problem, kills a guard or two, and then just walks right up to doom and just lops head off after doom gives him this. I created you speech, which kind of reminded me weirdly of like Batman and the Joker from the original Batman 89 with Michael Keaton. I, I feel like that was one of those, like I created you. Well, I created you first. I'm like, Oh, well, all right. It's going to be weird. I mean, I suppose doom has a point when he says, I created you because, you know, obviously had he not, you know, plundered and destroyed his village and murdered his parents, I suppose Conan and obviously enslaved Conan, even though, Doom just leaves and Conan is enslaved by the snake cult and just is forced to work as a slave and then obviously a gladiator and what have you. And it was that was also curious as well. But I guess that's the point he's making. But obviously Conan is not having any of it. But uh, yeah, I agree. When he creeps into the temple, it did seem a little bit weird where the princess is kind of like just like totally ignoring him while he throttles guards and cuts heads off and whatever. He's like, okay, we're just moving along. We're moving along. And uh, Well, maybe I I think because he tried, Doom tried to kill her in the previous scene. Yeah. And that's why she's like, well, you tried to kill me. F you. I'm not going to do anything or yell like stop guards or anything like that. So maybe she was like, well, I'm, I'm really not worth what I thought I was worth to him. Yeah, because when when uh, we have that first sort of, sort of meeting between them, she's like, "Master, don't leave me!" And I guess then she's able to come out of the you know the Kool Aid effect of being part of the cult. <laughs> yes, she's kind of been taken out of the cult, and she realizes that she was totally you know she had drunken the Kool Aid and was just uh, it wasn't her. Because at first we see that she's literally distraught when he leaves and, and tries to kill her. 
He's like, he's my reason to live, you know? And so, and then that's, uh, and she just gets over it pretty quickly. So she sobers up uh, remarkably well. Yeah. It's like she was on a, a nighttime, like a weekend bender. And this is like the hangover. And she's like, oh, I need to get my shit together. And you're like, this guy's really a clown. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. After, yeah. After he tried to kill her, she's like, yeah, I'm having the end of this. I'll help you get this guy. Yet she's still caressing snakes and still doing her thing. <laughs> like she, she still likes the snakes, but she's like, I'm not going to worship them as much. Like, I'm going to go to rehab because this is like the, the, the bad boyfriend that, you know, you don't talk about to your friends. Like, where you been? The last couple of years? I don't want to talk about it. Like, All right. I joined a cult, you know, worship some snakes. I'm like, oh, okay. That seems fine. Like, oh, okay. You want some coffee? Like, no. Yeah. And you make a good point about, we see Thulsa Doom turn to a, into a snake for reasons. He could have turned himself into a giant snake and fought <laughs> Conan right. in that moment. I, I think that was a limitation of the siege, you know, the special effects at the time. But I, I, I agree it, with yeah. you. I, I think if they, well, they did redo it. I haven't watched it yet, but I feel like if they did it again in present 2023, they could do more with the characters, more with the special effects, and also develop them more. I think. With such a rich background, you know, with what Marvel do with the comics, with all the books and everything of that nature, they could do a, a good series almost, possibly, you know, like a trilogy, assuming whoever owns the rights now goes through with the trilogy and not just make one movie and say, eh, screw it, we're going to cancel it. Do all three movies, put them out, let them kind of grow. And I, I think it could actually become an interesting universe. Oh, I think so too. I mean, because apparently now Netflix earns the rights to uh, everything Conan when it comes to TV shows and movies. And heck, they might go the route that they went with The Witcher, as in they might do a TV show because logically thinking, they did The Witcher and the character of The Witcher of Geralt is not that far removed from Conan, as no, in no. the world they navigate in and they, they, they navigate is very similar. Heck, when I first watched the Witcher, I'd never played the games and I'd never read the novels. I said to myself, this is literally Conan. This is the Polish version of Conan. And uh, so I would not be surprised that they might go that route of, we'll do a Conan series a la The Witcher, but hopefully cast the guy who stays around long enough and doesn't leave randomly <laughs> because he wants to do Superman. Well, you know, I, I hope they do it in more of a chronological order. They set up the the universe, flush out the characters, and then introduce Conan, opposed to, hey, this is where we are. Let's show you how we got here kind of flashback crap that they like to do, even though they'll explain in the current story that I beat up this dude on this one day and did this thing, and then we're going to make seven movies about that one story you've told us. Like, we already know the ending. We're at the ending. I, I would prefer they do more of a like, here's the world of Conan, here's his dad, blah, 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 or, you know, even a young Conan and just have him age up slowly, opposed to just throw him in the thick of things and just be like, oh, we'll talk about it in, like, flashbacks while drinking at the bar. Yeah, because that's somewhat been the problem, I guess, some people have with, uh, with The Witcher, where it's like, where did Geralt come from? What's the concept? And a lot of the characters get their backstories told during the course of the series. I mean, I have to be honest, I've only seen, I believe, the first two seasons of The Witcher. 
But a lot of it did work that way because if you've never read the books like I haven't, like I haven't, or you haven't played the games like I haven't, you're like, why does Geralt of Rivia do what he does? And what is a Witcher and all this kind of thing? So Conan, I guess it would be nice to have the whole backstory and maybe put it in a more modern setting. I mean, you can still use the whole thing of the secrets of steel, but make it make sense. Exactly. Okay, Show why, the actual origin of the secret of steel. Yeah. And why it's such a sacred thing. So, I mean, by and large, the Witcher show isn't bad. So I could see them doing something good with the Conan stuff. If Because I said Netflix now owns the rights to it, the comics. And now I believe owned by Titans comics because Marvel lost their, or should I say gave up the rights at the end of last year, 2022. So now Titans comics owns the rights to the comics, whereas Netflix has made an arrangement with Howard's estate to, to be able to make movies, TV shows, et cetera. Where they do something with it is anybody's guess. I believe there might be something in the works. So apparently Chris Hemsworth might be thought of to play Conan. I could see that. But, I could see um, that. That'd be a, a good character. Yeah. Those are the rumors going around, but you know it remains to be seen. But I guess then from, from all this speculation, Keith, going back to our movie here, when it comes to ratings, what do you give this movie out of 10? <sighs> I, I want to go high, but I really, I, I can't. Um, I, I'm going to have to go probably with like, you know, uh, I'm going to kick myself when I say this, but I'm going to give it a six. It's just passing just barely. Well, that's fair. I'm going to give it a six and a half out of 10 because I did enjoy it. I, I, I always made me chuckle. I'm like, I can't believe I'm watching a movie like this on Disney plus. This is fantastic. But uh that aside, I did like some of this film. I mean, it was it did have that whole epic thing of the 80s and did bring me back because last time I watched this, I was way too young and some of the stuff went way over my head. To watch it now, yes, it is silly in parts, but, uh, but it still holds up for the most part if you want a swords and sorcery film. And I also want to commend Basil Polidorus on the score because the score was cool. I did like that very drum heavy tribal almost feel to the score which works for for the for conan so i will give it that so it's a six and a half out of ten for me so when it comes to recommendations keith do, do you have anything you want to recommend akin to conan or within the conan universe uh, i would actually recommend conan the destroyer and red sonia because Obviously, the Destroyer is the sequel, and Red Sonia is the spinoff from that, and it's all in that same universe. I have not seen the prequels, or the, I'm sorry, not the prequels, the reboots, so they could be good. Maybe one day we'll get to those and do the uh, before and after comparisons, but I, I think for right now, I'm just going to stick it to the uh, Schwarzenegger universe. Sounds fair to me, and I will recommend the Howard original novellas. Because these True. days you can find them collected like I like I was lucky to receive by my grandmother all, all together in one big little book. And so if you do want to see what the, the original Conan was like and how, you know, he differs possibly from this version, like I had mentioned, definitely check those out. They're very entertaining. They're very fun. As I mentioned, if you like the whole sword and sorcery genre, it's pretty much one of the granddaddies of that genre when it comes to the printed page. And I suppose... Uh, I guess we could probably also add the Marvel comics, uh, which I've heard are very good. I have actually recently purchased, a, and I still have to read them. I have to admit, a um, a, a collected edition of some of, of some of the Conan books from uh, from Marvel. 
So I will be the trade paperbacks. So I'll be reading those. I'm very curious to see. Uh, Keith, you mentioned you had some experience with those. Yeah, I had I have one or two issues of the original Conan comic book kicking around. It's very much an 80s comic. Uh, it, it was interesting. They also, if I remember correctly, they tried to integrate uh, Conan into the uh, Savage Vendor, Avengers at one point, mm-hmm. just to kind of, I guess, bring them to, up to date and introduce him to the new Marvel universe. But I don't know how well that worked out. I think it only lasted literally one series and they've already dropped the character. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. So I guess uh, that went out the window, but uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be uh, looking forward to reading the trade paperbacks. I did pick up for uh, for Conan and just see what the comic book character looks like compared to this and compared to the, 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 no- the, the novellas. And I will also add folks, if you want to see something animated, check out also Conan, the adventurer. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Which was, oh my god, I forgot all about that. Which was, of course, the animated version of this character, complete with very masculine song Conan the Adventurer. Oh, so I forgot all about that. So if you want to check that out, and there Conan refers to Crom quite a lot more than this character does. So if you do want to check that out, I believe there are some episodes flying around on YouTube. So I will throw that out too. I, so I had to look it up. Had... They they did two seasons. Oh, okay. So it didn't last very long. Okay, fair enough. Well, oh. yeah, I, two seasons back in whenever the hell this came out is probably not terrible. Uh, we're talking like, what, 20 episodes? That's not the worst considering this came out in 1992. So, Oh, right. Well, I guess then, yeah, that's like the equivalent of nine seasons these days, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> so fair enough but yes yeah, so i will i will definitely also add conan the adventurer to the recommendations and of course dear listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we do discuss here you can uh, hit us up by shooting us an email at happiness and darkness how at gmail.com once again that email is uh, happiness and darkness how at gmail.com feel free to show your support by giving us a like on facebook where you find us as happiness and darkness or follow us on twitter where you can find us as high darkness pod and uh, Keith, I know you are not a big fan of this particular segment, but where can folks find you on the interwebs if they want to get in touch with you? Just because I'm a shut-in doesn't mean, you know, I don't like <laughs> promoting myself for all two things I ever do. Uh, I'm Generally, you know, y'all, people can find me here weekly with you doing this, you know, Happiness and Darkness. I'm also, I kind of creep on our Happiness and Darkness Facebook page. I, I threw a comment on last week's episode to one of our listeners uh, occasionally, you can find me on a mutual friend of ours, John's podcast, The uh, Bullshit Hour. I believe we actually uh, have an episode coming up with him that should be posting in the near future where we have another wonderful conversation about bidets. Yeah, those are always epic. That's very superhero right there. Oh, 100%. <laughs> because bidets are cool, people. So <laughs> I'm going to have yeah. a superhero name. It's going to be Captain Bidet. There you go. We have Captain Underpants, and now we have Captain Bidet. So uh, there you go. So I'm his arch nemesis. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, so well, well pointed out there, Keith, for sure. And definitely a big thank you to uh, to John uh, for the invitation. Indeed, we definitely had a fun, fun time hanging out with him. When it comes to me, folks, if you, you want to check out some country music, uh, be it uh, classic, 
of, or of today, you can uh, check out my radio show, Whiskey and Cigarettes, of course, where we play traditional country, today's country, and everything else in between. For more information, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Also, podcast-wise, if you are a fan of Best Picture winners, as we are right smack in the middle of, uh, of, of award season, of course, the nominees have just been released. You can find myself, Rachel Friend, and Zan Sprouse on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we are chronologically reviewing all the Best Picture winners. And this coming week, we will be reviewing The English Patient. And so that will be uh, quite the conversation indeed. And uh, if you are fans of CW shows, as of next month, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone, where we'll be reviewing the ninth and final season of CW's The Flash, starring, of course, Grant Gustin. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time we will be taking on the 1984 Richard Fleischer. Yes, that Richard Fleischer. The film will be Conan the Destroyer. So, uh, Keith, uh, any uh, any uh, last thoughts or anything else on uh, our next movie before we sign off? No, I'm, I'm looking forward. I think as much fun as we had with this one, I think the sequel we're going to have even more fun with. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's quite the tease, because like I said, I've yet to see this. I am uh, familiar with Richard Fleischer's work, so I'll be interested to see what he does when it comes to, to a Conan movie. So I guess, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Conan the Destroyer. Until then, stay super. Ciao.